Now, last week I opened with a poll, and I've got another one for you this week. So if you, we're having some internet issues, just so you know, a little technical difficulties this morning. If you're trying to connect to Wi-Fi, you're going to be here a while. It's not working, so you're going to have to go to your 4G or your LTE or whatever you got, all right? So if you have a smartphone or a tablet and you would like to participate, get a little interactive this morning, you can scan the code that's on the uh, the insert in the bulletin, the sermon notes there, or you can use your Bible app and search for a live event, our zip code, you can enter that. I've got a, a little poll this morning that I'm, I'm curious about. Uh, to for you to let us know how it was for you getting ready to come to church this morning. Uh, all responses are anonymous, I promise you. I won't know who put that it was a war zone. I, I won't know that. Uh, I, I, I have some options there for you on the, the survey. And I'm curious because this does play into the sermon as far as how we communicate and get along and so far. Uh, so so forth. Uh, getting ready for church this morning was like, and you've got five options here. The first is that Survivor TV show, you know, sort of every man for himself. Uh, it was like a war zone. It was like Disney World, the happiest place on earth. Uh, it was like rush hour in a big city. Or I'd rather not talk about it. Those are your options. Uh, if you would, if you can, go there and, and you can select it. Now, last week we took a little poll because we were talking about superhero women uh, superhero moms on Mother's Day, and we took a little poll about who your favorite Avenger was, and I believe that Captain America uh, took it by about two to one almost. We've got a lot of patriotic folks here that love Captain America. The Hulk was second. When I was a kid, I thought I was the Incredible Hulk. Had an experience once where uh, I got a little bit of the uh, the, anest- uh, the anesthetic uh, in my system the wrong way, and I sort of went nuts. My parents are here. They can attest to that. I was getting stitches and swallowed some of the, uh, the anesthesia and... Uh, and and I really did believe I was the Incredible Hulk at that point. I transformed and tried to bust out, and they strapped me down. And uh, anyway, um, I, the Hulk was second. Iron Man came in third. I'm not sure anybody else got uh, got any votes. Uh, maybe the, the other category. Black Widow got no votes. You know, the ladies did not represent very well. So uh, anyway, this morning, how was it for you getting to church? Let me see if we've got any any results so far. Uh, for for many of you, let's see what we've what we've got so far. Twelve uh, percent. It was like that survival TV show. Twenty four percent said it was a war zone. That's a fourth of you <laughs> fighting to come to church. Oh, and then we sit down and we're so happy, aren't we? Isn't it great? That's <clears throat> uh, good. Twenty nine percent said it's like Disney World. This is the happiest place on earth for you this morning. Just getting up. That means you got no kids living at home. <laughs> Out of the house. They're gone. <laughs> That's right. They ain't there anymore. They're done. They're gone. You got no kids at home. Uh, 35%, which is not surprising, said it's like rush hour in a big city. Uh, you're just scrambling to get here, and then you get behind somebody taking a Sunday drive. Boy, they're going 35 into 55, and it's, and you know, and, but you can't pass them because what if they're going to the same place you're going? Anyway, you know, it's, it's interesting. We, we talk about simple little things like getting ready to go to church. And isn't it interesting how stuff like that can be so trying on a family, so difficult at home to get ready to do something as simple as going to church. You say simple. <laughs> I got four kids. I know it ain't simple. 
But you know, it, it, it's stuff like that that we just look and we say, goodness gracious, on a morning where we're going to church, I mean, can't we just get along for one second of this, you know, this experience, please? Uh, there's another question that's there on the the Bible app, the the code you can scan, and this one is this is one that I won't I won't read any answers. I actually won't even get them till much later, and they're all anonymous. I, but I'd love to be able to to take time to pray for you this week. I won't know who sent any answer in, but the second question is, what's the biggest issue that your family is facing right now? You can elaborate as much or as little as you like. Uh, what are you going through at home? Is there anything specific? You say, hey, look, yeah, we're really struggling with this or whatever. The series that we're in is called Home, and the idea is to focus on the things that we deal with at home. Whether you have a home that is filled with more people than just yourself, or maybe you're just living there by yourself. Maybe you're married, maybe you're unmarried, maybe you have children at home, maybe you don't. Maybe you're young, old, in between. The idea is that we are all shaped by our home. The home that you grew up in largely is responsible for who you are, how you think, how you operate today. We know that. It's no, no secret. Uh, the, the home that your children are growing up in right now will shape them and largely determine their outlook on life, what they, what they think and believe and so on. And, and so some of the issues that we deal with at home is what we're trying to, 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 to cover during this series. Last week, we, we talked about moms on Mother's Day and the idea of, of trying to be a superhero, keeping everything all together. And I know if you're anything uh, like normal, then you, you struggle sometimes to keep it all together at home. I mean, it's just everybody's going different directions, and you, you run around like your hair's on fire, and maybe you're there, maybe you've been there. Uh, that, that's certainly tough. We're going to look at issues like finances and uh, negative and worldly influences, and today we're going to look at the issue of not getting along. And certainly for some families and some relationships, that is a major, major issue. It is, as we know, not just on Sunday morning that maybe your home is like a war zone. Or maybe you just rather not talk about it. We just sort of get through it. Or, or maybe it's, it's, it's a, it's a silent treatment, whatever it may be. I think there are a lot of families that are just trying to figure out how can we get along better. And again, that doesn't mean that you are the typical traditional American family that you have the mom and dad and 2.5 children. That's, uh, you, you can just simply be a married couple or someone that maybe is living with your folks or whatever. Many families trying to figure out how to get along, and I think it's tough. Wednesday, just so you know, this Wednesday evening, we're going to look at some very practical help on how can we communicate better. Um, But this morning, I I really want to get past that because I think that the issues that we'll talk about in this series, whether it be finances, uh, whether it be getting along, whatever it may be, I think those, those are symptomatic of deeper issues that are going on inside of our hearts. You know, the reason that maybe your family struggles sometimes to get along is not because, well, nobody here knows how to communicate, and that's the biggest problem we have. We just, you know, we just don't communicate properly. Well, maybe you don't, but the truth is it goes deeper than that. And so we're going to look this morning at a scripture that will peel back the layers, get to the heart of the roles that each person in the family can play that will help things to get better. The cause of not getting along, if that's something that you're dealing with at home, I don't think is usually because of some symptomatic thing like communication. I think it's often because we don't play the role that God has given us. We've lost sight of the responsibility that we have. We're simply reacting to what other people do rather than first submitting to God and then submitting to each other out of love. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. 
If you've ever been to a wedding, you may have heard this particular passage read. This is one, quite honestly, that pastors like to avoid. And it's one that is easily avoidable because it can cause some confusion. It can be a tough pill to swallow. Uh, It's one that uh, for a man to stand up and preach it, the ladies can kind of fold their arms and lean their heads back and look at you with that evil eye. And so don't shoot yet, okay? Don't fire yet. Ephesians chapter 2, chapter 5, rather, verse 22 is where we'll begin, all right? So I'm going to read this through chapter 6, verse 4, and then we'll come back and look at it. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, also uh, as, as also Christ is head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as also Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, to make her holy, cleansing her in the washing of the water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. And fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, there are some false assumptions that come from this passage, and maybe you have avoided this or you've heard it preached and you think, oh my goodness, what exactly does that mean? What's Paul talking about? I mean, this sounds really, really odd to us. We didn't live in first century ancient uh, you know, Roman Empire times. and we, we live in 21st century America. What is he talking about? Well, we have some wrong assumptions about that, and, and it can cause us some problems. I think one of the main things that we, that we don't understand is why he wrote this in the first place. Why was it necessary for him to talk about these different roles in the way that he did? Now, why Paul included it is a very interesting piece of information. If you, if you will think with me for just a second, transport yourself back in time to first century Roman Empire times, way back when this was written. Back then, the Christians were looked at as being extremely radical and problem causers. Sound familiar? That's the way that they were viewed back then. Still very similar to today, but for different reasons. Back then, Christians, and Paul wrote about this, looked at people as if they were on equal planes spiritually with God. You know, in that society, you had certain people that were of one class and everybody else. Christians said, no, 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 in the eyes of God, we're all the same. And guess who Christianity elevated that the society had a problem with them elevating and wondered, what in the world are y'all doing? Y'all are trying to ruin our society. They elevated people like women and children. Past the, the point of being some piece of property or useless human being, elevated them to equal status with God. Isn't it interesting that Christianity was leading the way, way back then, for the rights of women and children? And society had a problem with it. 
They accused Christians of trying to mess up everything about the Roman Empire. Oh, you guys, you talk about freedom and love and all of these things. And in fact, interestingly enough, Christians were accused of being atheists, if you can believe that. You know why? Because they didn't have a visible God that they bowed down to in some statue. Atheists can't see their God. Christians were, were criticized. House codes like this that told people how they were to operate inside the home were very common, but there wasn't one like this one. Most of the time, the house codes focused on the rights that the more powerful person had, the husband, the father, and so on. These are your rights, and everybody else just better deal with it. They didn't focus, like Paul did, on responsibilities. The house codes back then focused on power and authority, not mutual submissiveness and oneness in the family, and that's what Paul's writing about. We can learn a lot from this. I think one of Paul's main points here is that that Christian homes in whatever society are to be different from every other home. There ought to be a difference because Jesus inhabits that home and inhabits the people in it. There ought to be a difference in that home and the rest of the world. They're to set the example. They're to raise the bar. They're to elevate all members of the home, not just the ones that appear to be more powerful. And they're to point people to the love of Jesus. If we're going to see things improve at home, you say, oh, get to the point. Here we go. If you're going to see things improve, you say, look, I, you know, we're, we're Christians, uh, you know, we, we come to church and we do try to do some of the right things and whatever, but you know what? Things are just not the greatest at home. Maybe it's between you and your husband or your wife or you and your children or you and, and, you know, even folks that maybe extended family, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, how can things get better? Well, I think Paul can take us back to what it is. Let me encourage you with one simple statement this morning, and then we'll look at some of these roles. Let me encourage you to focus on what you can give instead of on what you're not getting. Focus on what you can give instead of on what you're not getting. It's interesting that this passage really doesn't begin with verse 22. It actually just flows out of verse 21 where Paul says that we are to submit to one another out of love for Christ. Out of our love for Jesus, that's what's to guide our relationships with everybody else. Back then, it was the people in positions of power, and namely here the husbands and fathers, that did whatever they wanted because they thought that was their right. And Paul's out to change all of that. So, being in relationships, whether it's between a husband and wife, or parents and children, or whatever, isn't about getting what you want, but about giving all that you can out of love for Jesus and love for the other person. So the focus isn't on power and my rights, but on responsibility. Not what I'm not getting, but what can I give? And Paul lists the different roles here that are played at home. So I want to look at those as he he separates them for us, the home roles that we have. First of all, what's the role for the husband? Husband is to what? Is to love his wife. Real simple. The husband is to love his wife. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Pretty simple, isn't it? Love your wives, he says, just as also Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. In the ancient world, just so you know, there was never a command for a husband to love his wife. Wasn't even expected that he would. I mean, he he was expected to take care of her physical needs, and that was about it. You know, make sure she's got a place to sleep and some food. And in fact, it was interesting during that time that husbands and wives spent very little time together. She probably didn't mean that much to him. In fact, they they had a, a, a space in the house reserved for men and one reserved for women. And there wasn't a whole lot of mingling between them except when it came time to make babies. That was it. The woman was there simply to support the man with no rights whatsoever. It wasn't a relationship built on love but more on ownership. 
The command that Paul gives is very, very surprising. I mean, you think about it. He didn't write that to us. Now, we get the benefit of it because God's Word is living and active, and it still has meaning, obviously, for us today. But he wrote it in a society where husbands did anything but love their wives. Talk about shocking. It was surprising, but it raised the bar for the husband. Understand that he looks at society, and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, you guys, this isn't the way it's going to go for those who claim faith in Jesus Christ. Husbands, you're not going to act like everybody else. You're not going to treat your wife as a piece of property. You're not going to dismiss her just because you don't like her. She did something wrong. You're going to love her, he says. It elevated wives to a position of value and honor. Think of how Christ loves the church. Verse 23 says this, The husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. Now here's where the problems come. Because sometimes guys will read this and say, Yeah, that's right, I'm the head of the home. And you get your club and drag your woman around by her hair. I'm the head of the home. You listen to what I tell you to do, woman. Probably not the best move for you to make, just so you know, especially after hearing this sermon. Don't try it this afternoon. You just, you know, the preacher, and you know, so then, then we got issues, okay? Then I have to get involved, and that's, you know. But we look at this and we say, okay, I'm the head of the home as the man. But when you consider what Paul is trying to get to, he equates the being the head of the home as Christ being the head of the church. That's, that certainly implies leadership, no question, but it's a leadership that's focused on taking responsibility for someone else's well-being. Guys, let me tell you, if you're in a married relationship, you are responsible for the well-being of your wife. You are responsible for her. Not because she can't take care of herself, because she's weak and useless. No, not even close. But God has given you responsibility to help to see your wife's well-being maintained and make sure she can become the person God has created her to be. That's your responsibility, to love her in that way. So I'm the head of the home. Good. How's your wife doing? Well, no, no, seriously. How's your wife doing? Is she coming alive? Is her relationship with the Lord growing? Is she becoming the person God wants her to be? Because if not, you ain't leading the home. Husband is the head of the wife, he says. Just as Jesus took responsibility for the church to love, to give himself for her, to nurture, to grow the church, that's the responsibility of the husband in a loving relationship. Husbands are the head of the home, but that means you're responsible for your wife's well-being. Try that on for size. Verse 25 says this, Jesus gave himself for the church. Love your wives, it says, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Husbands, how you doing with self-sacrifice? Or is your world about you and your hobbies and what you want to do? Now you can say I've got an axe to grind against guys today, but I am one, so I can just put the mirror right up here and I can talk to myself all day long. But I think it's worth receiving the challenge this morning, fellas. I really, really do. I hope we hear from God. Are we self-sacrificing? Are we giving just like Jesus did? Are we going the extra mile, doing whatever it takes to ensure our wives' well-being? Verse 26 says that Jesus did all of that to make her holy, to cleanse her. Verse 27, to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but holy and blameless. The idea is this. The love of the husband is to be directed toward the wife in such a way that she is helped to become the person that God created her to be, the new creation that Jesus has made her. So this is not about keeping women down. This is about improving their well-being and their wholeness. 
Verses 28 and 29 say this, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. How would you care for your own body? This morning you probably ate, and if you didn't, you're getting really hungry, (laughs) and you're going to go eat a lot this afternoon. You probably, hopefully, took a shower at some point this week, just saying. You take care of yourself, don't you? I mean, it's, it's so obvious. The Lord says, Paul says, the Lord says through Paul, rather, take care of your wife just in the same way that you would automatically take care of yourself without a second thought. It's just automatic. This is what I do. Think of words like elevate and sacrifice and something for her benefit and giving and supporting and humility and unconditional love. When you begin to think in those terms, that's when you know you're getting closer to the kind of love that Jesus has for his church. Husbands are to love. Now, I'm just going to tell you, I spent the most time there because that's what Paul does. The rest of it will go fairly quickly. Paul spends the most time talking to the husbands, to the men of the family. So hear it, guys, from the Lord himself. The role of the wife, as Paul states it here, is to respect. Again, as we get into some problems, boy, respect of the man. Respect me. Another way we sometimes think, ladies, I know maybe this is tough for you to swallow. Look at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The word submit, by the way, in the Greek is not there. It just flows out of verse 21. Submitting to one another out of the fear of Christ, wives to your own husbands, That's what it says. Verse 24, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should to their husbands in everything. Verse 33, to sum up, the wife is to respect her husband. That's the idea here. Is this saying that wives are to be quiet, passive, doing only what they're told by their husbands, viewed as inferior, unable to function on their own or in any kind of leadership role at all? No. No, that's not what it's saying. This is not an excuse for chauvinism. This is not an excuse to look at women as inferior. If that's your issue, fellas, you got some repenting to do before the Lord. I mean that sincerely. This is not an excuse to view women as anything but creations of God who are highly valued by God and by Jesus who died for them. The idea here in submission, in respect, is that the wife will simply give up any self-centeredness, become one with her husband, and focus on being an incredible benefit for him. Now, you want a great marriage. Husbands, love your wives. Live for her benefit. Wives, respect your husbands. Live for his benefit. Put it together, and I doubt very seriously you're going to have the kind of problems that will spiral out of control to where you don't know what to do in your marriage. When Paul says to submit to your husbands, to respect your husband, it's about partnering with him, about desiring his input. It's about making him and the children that you may have in the home your first concern. doesn't mean that you can't do anything else. It doesn't mean that that's, well, the woman's role is just this, this. No, 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 no. You and your husband work that out. But it does mean that by the command of God that your first priority is to live for the benefit of your husband and your children. She seeks to promote her husband's well-being, this wife who respects him. Just as, as the church, it says here, submits to Christ, as we try as a church to make Jesus look good, that's the role of the wife, to support her husband. So think of words like support and, and enhance and partner with and prioritize and give and respect. 
The opposite of that, of course, would be to belittle or to criticize or ignore or withhold from your husband or to talk about him behind his back. Do you see the idea is not put women in their place? The idea is husbands love your wives for the benefit of your wives. Wives respect your husband for the benefit of your husband. Each person becoming who they are to be. And then Paul turns to parents and children. The role of parents can be summed up in the word nurture. Parents are to nurture their children. That's the role. Look at verse 4 of chapter 6. Fathers, parents, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Some versions say the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. We are to nurture our children. He says, don't stir up anger in them, but raise them to follow the Lord. Now, travel back in time with me for, for a second again. Fathers during this time, especially, had absolute control and power over the lives of their children. In fact, when they were born, the father decided whether they were going to live or die. Whether they were going to be fed, nurtured, taken care of, or neglected and left to die. And in many cases, the girls especially were left to die. It's interesting here that Paul doesn't say, don't stir up anger in your boys, but in your children. Again, an elevation of women. Fathers had absolute control. They determined whether the child lived or died. They could sell their children into slavery. They could punish them harshly. They could work them very hard. They could even have them put to death. In light of all that, Paul's instruction is really incredible. That's the society he's writing to. That was accepted. That was Anything else was looked at as crazy. You guys are trying to, to ruin us. What are you doing with this love your, your wife and nurture your children kind of talk? This doesn't even make sense to us. Christian parents, Paul was saying, are to be far different from their worldly counterparts. Far different. They're to set boundaries, yes, and enforce discipline, yes, but not like everybody else does. For children, the home was to be where they learn discipline, where they learn obedience with parents who, who would create an atmosphere that's full of grace and love and a safe place to be. Mutual support, encouragement for their kids. The kids were to grow up in a home where they were told the truth but in love. One of the things, and, and, and Hank knows this, that we talk about with baseball, right? I'm always going to be what with you? Honest. I'm going to tell you the truth. I try to do that with my kids, but, I, but I'm, I'm never going to attempt to do what? Do you remember what the other word is? I'm never going to try to do what to you? Remember? I'm not going to try to criticize you. I'm going to try to be honest, but I'm not going to try to criticize. Now, I'll tell you, I, I fail at that. I'm not, I'm not perfect, but that's my goal. Based upon this, I'm even with something like playing baseball. I try to be honest, but I'm not going to try to criticize. And when I do, I'll come in and I say, I'm sorry. I was, oh, I was on you too hard. Children ought to grow up in a home, Paul says, in a Christian home, where they are spoken to with love and with truth at the same time. Children are to grow up in a Christian home, he says, that takes care of their needs, their physical, emotional, psychological needs. They're, they are to be taught the truth. They are to be warned about the consequences of sin. They are to be held accountable, taught about the Lord and what He wants for them. They are to be given experiences that will help to train them for what's ahead of them in life. Children, Paul says, in a Christian home ought to grow up with, without being put down or treated with contempt. They are to be given freedom, yes, but with legitimate boundaries, not just to figure out their way in life. You want to ruin your kids? Just let them figure out their way in life. You ruin them. All of that, of course, takes time, takes communication, takes discipline. 
The focus on developing godly character, Paul says here, is the priority above everything else. Above any kind of activity they're doing, above anything they're good at, above any kind of thing they're involved with, the main goal of parents in the short time that you've got them with you is to train them up to know and to follow Jesus. If you get that and you've played that role, now they have their own choices to make, no question, but you have been successful as a parent if you have done what Paul says in verse 4 of chapter 6 in Ephesians. You've been successful. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Children, the word is honor. Now, parents, you're going to focus on the second word there in verse uh, 1 of chapter 6. Children, obey, obey your parents in the Lord. I know you don't ever raise your voice like that to say, hey, here's what God says right here. Obey. Don't do that. Okay, that's just me. But you don't do that. Obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Listen to me, young people. You're still living at home. You're still under the authority of your parents. Listen to me. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. You know what he's not saying? Obey your parents only if they're following the Lord. Obey your Christian parents. No, no. Whoever your parents are, obey them as if you are attempting to obey the Lord and honor Him through that relationship. You may not like that. Honestly, in a very loving way, I don't think God cares if you like that. I know Paul didn't care if you like that. I don't care if you like that. I know your parents don't care if you like it. It's what, what what does it say? Because this is right. From whose perspective is it right? Your friend's perspective? No way. It's right from whose perspective? From God's perspective. You want to honor God. You want to obey God in your life. And young people, you better get that straight before you even worry about honoring and obeying your parents. You want to honor and obey God. Do what is right in whose eyes? In His eyes. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to choose a straight and narrow path, the Scripture tells us, when you choose to honor and obey God. Now, those of us that are a little bit older, let's not assume for a single second that this is the first generation that has ever struggled with honoring and obeying parents. Throw that out the window. Every one of you did. Every one. Every one. Even Mark Hale. Every one of you did. <laughs> Fatsy says amen. <clears throat> I mean, every one. I mean, let, let's not criticize our children for being children. Okay? Let's train them, but let's help them understand their responsibility before the Lord is to honor and to obey their parents. That's not a two-way street, kids, just so you know. Well, my parents are useless, so I don't have to listen to anything they say. No, 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 no. Who's ultimately in charge? God is in charge. You live under His authority. He's put the authority of your parents there. Live under their authority. The question to ask yourself is, in light of my relationship with Jesus, how will I then relate to my parents? That's the proper question. Verse 1, of course, it says, for this is right. The world's not going to tell you that, but Jesus does. Now, I'll tell you this. It's not about blind obedience or doing things that are directly contrary to Scripture. I hope, parents, that you understand that. I hope, young people, you understand that as well. If your parents are telling you to do something directly disobedient to Scripture, obey God first and then let Him sort it out with your parents. You dig? That's what I'm going for. Verse 2, Paul gives a quotation from the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother, the first commandment of the promise, that it may go well with you and you may have a long life in the land. The idea 
with this command and this promise is that you are under authority, so live like it. And typically, not always, typically, the path for those who live under authority and honor their parents and obey their parents, typically life goes okay for them. Not in every case. We understand that. Sometimes crazy things happen and accidents and so on. That's not what I'm talking about. This is no guarantee. Well, I obeyed my parents. I'm going to live to be 115. Nope, that's not what it's talking about. But typically, generally, those who learn to honor and obey the authorities in their lives have an easier time in life than those who don't. So I told you at first, the idea here is to to focus more on what we can give rather than what we're not getting. So husbands, you can focus on the respect that you're not getting from your wives. Or you can focus on how to love your wife better. Wives, you can focus on the love that you're not feeling from your husband, or you can focus on how to respect him better. Parents, you can focus on the honor that you're not getting from your children, or you can focus on how to nurture them better. And children, you can focus on the nurture that you're not receiving feeling from your parents, or you can focus on how to honor them better. This week, let me give you three things, and we'll close. Simple, but difficult. The first is to evaluate. Here's the question. Husbands, go to your wives. Do you feel loved? That's the question. Wives, go to your husbands. Do you feel respected? Parents, go to your children. Do you feel, you may need to use a different word than nurture. Do you feel cared for? Do you, do you feel loved? Do you feel nurtured? Children, go to your parents. Do you feel honored? There's only a handful that's going to be brave enough to do that this week. But I guarantee you, if you want things in your home to take the steps that God wants them to take, ask the question. The second is to address. Evaluate it first. Brace yourself for the answer. Maybe do it, you know, in public so there's no yelling and screaming or, you know, or whatever. Then address it. The next question is this. What can I do to make you feel more loved? What can I do to make you feel more respected? What can I do to make you feel more nurtured? What can I do to make you feel more honored? Evaluate it, then address it. And thirdly, submit. Verse 21 starts it all off. Submit to one another, it says, out of fear, out of love, out of respect, out of your relationship with Jesus Christ. None of it. Let me just tell you, don't, don't, don't pack it up just yet. None of this means anything. Not a single thing. You should hear none of this if you have not already submitted your life to Jesus Christ. You can go and you can try to be the most loving husband you can be, and that ain't going to get you into heaven. You can go and be the most respectful wife you can be, that ain't going to get you into heaven. You can go be the most nurturing parent, that ain't going to get you into heaven. Children, you can be the most incredible, honoring child. Boy, everybody loves you, and that ain't going to get you into heaven. It is submission to Jesus Christ, the Bible says, through repentance, turning from sin, and faith, believing in Jesus as the Son of God, the one who died for our sins. You'd better start there. If not, you're going to try to earn your way to God, and guess what? You ain't going to get there. Only Jesus earned our way to God. 
Because only He was perfect and only He could die for our sins. Start there. Submit first to, to Jesus. And I mean that sincerely. Do not leave here today with a new resolve to be a better husband, a better wife, a better parent, a better child without first having given your life to Jesus Christ wholly and completely. Submit first to Jesus and then, as the Scripture says, submit to one another. Seek a oneness in your family, a oneness in your home with whoever may reside there, with whoever may be in your family. Seek a oneness with them based upon your relationship with Jesus Christ. How should I live this thing out? In light of my relationship with Jesus, what then should I do? Challenge you this week. It ain't going to be easy. I'm going to try to ask the questions myself. It's going to be tough. But let's work through it to see God do what He wants to do in our homes. Let's pray together. This morning, before you leave, I want to give you the opportunity to receive prayer if you'd like, to make a a public profession of faith in Jesus, as Austin did this morning through baptism, to say, you know what, this is not something I'm going to hide. It's going to be public. Maybe you'd like for me to pray for you or to maybe answer some more questions. You know, what do you mean about submitting to Jesus? I don't understand that. Maybe you need to come with your family and just spend some time here kneeling and praying. Or to gather with them in your pew and just spend a moment in prayer. Commit to the Lord first and then commit to each other. We're going to work through this. God has plans for your family and for your home that are good. You only receive those through doing things His way. Lord, we're grateful to be here to see your word. Lord, help us to apply it. Remind us of what it says. We thank you for Jesus who loved us enough to give himself for us, as Paul wrote. Lord, this morning may we begin with submission first to him and then to each other. Lord, make our homes, whatever they may look like right now, make our homes different. Set them apart for your use. And may you receive glory and honor through how we live with one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.